Timothy 2 verse 1 be strong in the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus I have already handled four cases of conscience concerning strength of grace first whether strong temptations may be consistent with strength of grace second whether strong corruptions may consist with the strength of grace Third, whether a man may be strong in grace and yet want those strong affections which he had at his first conversion. And fourth, whether a man may have strength of grace and yet want the comfort of his grace. I shall now proceed to a fifth case of conscience. Whether a man may be said to have strength of grace who hath but weak gifts in the opening of which case I shall thus proceed. First, I will premise some positions. Second, I shall positively resolve the case. And third, I then give you some practical inference by way of application. I'll begin with the first, namely the positions, and they are these four following. The first position is this, that though all believers have the same spirit, Yet God in his wisdom thinks it fit that they shall not have the same gifts. There are, saith the apostle, diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. As it is with flowers, there is not the same smell, but different smells to to different flowers. And yet all their scents have the same influence from above. And as it is with instruments of music, there are diverse sounds. In the, in the organ but the same breath doth cause the several sounds so in the church of God though there is the same influence of the spirit of God yet not the same measure of gifts in each member of the church the second position is this that diversity of gifts is not to be ascribed to man's industry diligence or education but to the free pleasure and dispensation of God it is true Much may be ascribed to study and industry and diligence in a way of gifts, which was the ground of the Apostles' exhortation. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, etc. And meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. The Apostle speaks there of profiting in ministerial gifts, which gifts, diligence, and study do much advantage and promote. Yet though we are all equal in study and diligence, there would be a diversity in our gifts. Lest men should vaunt of their industry in acquiring gifts and thereby exclude God's bounty in bestowing them. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Psalm 127. Hildersum said, Suppose that two men were to read the same books and to study the same matter every day, yet the one may be a dunce and a man of low gifts, and the other may have rare parts and excellent endowments. This is to show who we are beholding to. That is God, whose dispensation of gifts are many and variously bestowed. Hence it is the apostle telleth us that all these gifts worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. 1 Corinthians 12.11 
So that though one man differ from another in gifts, yet it is God that maketh him to differ. The third position is this, that a man may be excellent in one gift and yet defective in other gifts. One man shall not have all. This is very observable by instances you have in Scripture. The first instance is between Paul and Barnabas. If you look unto Paul, his gift was the gift of utterance and freedom of speech, so insomuch that at, at Lystra, Paul was taken for Mercury, the god of eloquence, because he was the chief speaker. And though it is said of Paul that he was rude of speech, that is, not as if it were so indeed, but in the opinion and conceit of the Corinthians, who, being seduced by false teachers, hearkened to their disparagements of Paul, 1 Corinthians 11.6, Paul was a most eloquent man and had much of the gift of utterance. But now Barnabas did excel Paul in other gifts to comfort those who were troubled in conscience. He was a son of consolation, Acts 4.36, to comfort troubled consciences. So likewise in the case of Peter and the other apostles, divines gather from Christ's commission to Peter, singling him out when, when he said, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, lovest thou me? The reason that some expositors give why Peter was singled out was this, because Peter had an excellent gift in preaching and in feeding the lambs of Christ, that is, weak believers. Moreover, it is said of James and John that they were called sons of thunder as having a more powerful gift from God to terrify and awake a sinner's conscience than Peter and the other apostles had. So that though some of the apostles had most excellent gifts, yet some of them excelled others in some one gift. The fourth position is that there are cases wherein men may have great gifts but weak grace. God is pleased sometimes to carry men's gifts very high when their graces have not a proportionable elevation. And the reason is because gifts are for the good of others, for the edification of the church of God and not for the good of a man's self only. They were wanting in no gift and had all knowledge and yet, when he mentions their graces, he saith, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but carnal. 1 Corinthians 3.1 They outstripped other churches in gifts, yet they've come short of other churches in grace. Such was the church of Laodicea. She was rich in gifts and poor in grace. Revelation 3.11 Now, there are four cases wherein men may have strong gifts, and yet but little grace. When men's notions are clear and strong, but men's experiences and affections but low and weak, to have more expressions than impressions, to be like the moon, that though from the wane it grows big and increases to the full, yet it increases only in light, not in heat. So men, when they merely increase in the light of notions and speculations and not in the heat of affection towards God and the practical part of Christianity. And it is to be feared that much of the religion of these times is of this stamp. It is more in notion than motion, more in talking than walking, more in parts than grace. And second, when thy gifts are not influential upon thy life. 
look as it is in, the, in that disease of the rickets that children are liable to. They may grow big in the head and yet decay in the lower parts. So there are some, as it hath been shown, who have the disease of the spiritual rickets. They do grow big in the head, big in gifts, and yet decay in their vitals, decay in the grace and exercise of it. Third, when their gifts do but rend or tend to the promotion of division in the church and pride in their own hearts. This was discovered in the church of Corinth. It came behind in no gift, 1 Corinthians 1.7. But see what is said in verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And then in verse 12, Now this I say, that every one of you hath, of you saith, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, and I of Christ. They were carnal as to grace, and walked as men, though they were high in gifts. And when gifts engender strife in the church, and pride in a man's own heart, and when they do elevate and puff up the heart with vain and high conceits, this is an argument that they are but mere gifts. The Corinthians were in everything enriched by God, in all utterance and in all knowledge, so that they came behind in no gift. They had abundance of knowledge, but knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Fourth, when gifts are increased merely by virtue of continual study and industry, when gifts proceed merely from strength of natural parts, advantaged by education, study, and diligence, if gifts do merely proceed from that fountain, there may be much gifts but little grace. The greatest scholars are not always the best men. The reason is because their gifts are gotten by industry and diligence. Their gifts may be high when their graces are low. The fifth position. There are cases wherein men may decay and be weak in gifts and yet may be said to have strength of grace. First, if it proceed merely from a natural, not a sinful defect. If weak gifts proceed from sinful defects, it, it, it argues grace is but weak, as if it proceeds from negligence, from sloth, from carelessness to attend upon ordinances, from idleness, in not reading, in not meditating, not praying, not using holy conference, then grace decays with gifts. These are sinful defects. But now if gifts proceed merely from natural defects, as a man of shallow capacity, of a slow speech, of a bad memory, of a weakly body, that either through sickness or old age the body is weakened, in that there are natural decays in the body. Because the putting forth of gifts depends upon the temperature and disposition of the body. As it is with an instrument of music that is out of tune, it makes no melody through the instrument be good. So a body out of tune hath not that use of or putting out of gifts. As it is with an old preacher, his gifts may decay when he is an old man, and he may not have much freedom of speech, such clearness of judgment, such strength of memory as the body decays, the gift of elocution will decay. 
and his memory may decay, and he may not be so ready in delivering the word. But yet, he may have as great ability in preaching, yea, more experience, more solid judgment, and more clear understanding in the mysteries of the gospel than a young man can have. So it is with Christians. Their gifts may decay, as the temper of the body decays, as it is with a musician, when he is a young man, his joints being more pliable, plays more nimbly and melodiously upon an instrument of music. When he comes to be an old man, he cannot play so nimbly and melodiously, his joints being stiff. But yet, he hath more skill than a young man hath. When this doth not proceed from sinful defect, but from natural defects, then may a man's grace be strong, though his gifts and parts be weak. And second, if you want those external advantages to further and promote the growth of gifts, as for example, a Christian that follows an ordinary trade, which carries a water tankard on his shoulder, he may attain more brokenness of heart, more humility and self-denial, more experience of the goodness of God toward his soul and of the method of God than he who perhaps is in some great, honorable and eminent employment. But that Christian who hath this mean employment and such poor education shall not attain those gifts that others have attained who have greater advantages. As it is with a scholar that hath been diverse years at the university, he hath those external advantages as education and literature that his gifts and parts may be much increased. When perhaps a poor man that, fall, that follows the plow may, attend, may attain to more grace and more acquaintance with the ways of God. Now such a man have not so many gifts as others. It is not his sin. God doth not require more than he gives. Third, if you have not a calling to use or put forth the exercise of your gifts, your gifts may decay, though grace do not decay. Gifts are increased by exercise. The less they are exercised, the more they decay. If thou hast not an opportunity to exercise thy gifts as in former times, to pray in company, to use holy conference as in former times thou hadst, in such a case, a Christian who is strong in grace may grow weaker in, gr- in gifts. Four, if what you want in gifts you make up in humility. Strength of grace is not to be measured by notions and speculations in the head, but by humility in the heart. Therefore, if thy gifts be weak, if thy humility be great, thou hast strength of grace. The less blossoms there are on the branches, the more sap there is in the root. He that hath great parts and is proud of them, it is is much to be feared that hath less grace than the man who hath but few gifts and low parts, but in the sense of his own weakness, hath low and self-denying thoughts of himself. Lastly, if what you want in gifts you make up in your practice by a holy and conscionable walking. That martyr that said, I cannot dispute, but I can burn for the truth, had more grace than those that could dispute and not burn. The application of this case is only for caution. 
And I shall give you a threefold caution. First, take heed ye be not proud of the greatest measure of gifts you have. There is nothing in the world that a man is so apt to be proud of as his gifts. A man is not so apt to be proud proud of grace because he hath a principle to check his pride. But he is apt to be proud of his gifts. A man is not so apt to be proud of outward endowments as clothing, riches, and the like as he is apt to be proud of his gifts. Expositors that do handle the prophecy of Ezekiel say that Ezekiel is called 93 times thou son of man in that prophecy. Now there, there is no other prophet that is mentioned in all the Bible but only one which is called the son of man and that is Daniel. Now expositors give the reason why he is called by this title because he was a prophet of the greatest gifts and had the most glorious visions of all the other prophets. Compare this prophecy with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, or all the rest. Yet Ezekiel's prophecy is a more dark, mysterious, profound book. Now Ezekiel, being a prophet of the greatest gifts, God uh, takes this care to keep his heart low. Thou son of man. Thou son of man. And all is to keep his heart low. Which doth teach us thus much that those that have great gifts, they ought to spend a great deal of time to keep their hearts humble and low because there is a flatuous humor in our nature whereby we are apt to swell and be puffed up in the sense of our own gifts. The second caution, prize a little grace before a great measure of gifts. You will prize a pearl, though no bigger than a pea, more than a great heap of stones. There is great reason why we should prize a little grace before much gifts. First, grace will last when gifts are withering. Blazing comets will fall when the star never falls. A falling star is no star, but only a comet. So the hypocrites may have a great blaze of their gifts and yet may fall like comets that hover in the air. Grace is like a star that keeps fixed in its orbit. There is a great deal of difference between a painted face and a natural complexion. The painted face will not always last, but a natural complexion, that will always remain. Gifts are but paint, the ornament of the creature. A true grace, which is as the natural complexion, that will remain. Second, prize a little grace before any gifts, because gifts will leave thee short of heaven. Christ told the learned scribe that he was not far from the kingdom of heaven, but alas, for all his gifts and learning, he fell short of heaven. Many will say to me, said Christ, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many many wondrous works? Matthew 7.22 You see, it is observable. These men might pretend to high and great gifts, And yet they to whom God opened the secrets of his kingdom, against them he shut the gates of heaven. A man may be a preacher and have the secrets of heaven open to him and yet have the gates of heaven shut against him. A man may attain the gifts in Christ's name to cast out devils, a great and miraculous gift. And yet those men that cast out devils were themselves cast to devils. 
we have done many wondrous works. They that did wonders were made a wonder. They that had so much gifts came short of heaven. Yea, they who may preach to others may themselves be cast away. And third, do not mistake strength of gifts to be strength of grace. Parents would not judge their children strong when their heads and chests are big and their feet but feeble. And so you may grow big in your heads, in notions and speculations, in gifts, and yet feeble in the practice of grace. Now that you may not mistake yourselves and may not be deceived, I'll show you how you may know the difference betwixt those that have strong gifts and those that have strong grace. In the general, take this. As art resembles nature, so gifts resemble grace. Now there are four differences. As grace strengthens, corruption weakens. It is with grace and lusts as it, as it was with the house of Saul and the house of David. As David's house grew stronger and stronger, so Saul's house grew weaker and weaker. As the ark was set up, Dagon was thrown down. The Dagon of corruption will be thrown down before the ark of grace and the ark of the covenant. But gifts may strengthen and yet corruptions never the weaker. Indeed, gifts discover corruption but are not able to mortify and subdue it. Gifts discover many corruptions but mortify none. Gifts take a cognizance of many a sin but never put a period to any. Men that have gifts are resembled to the moon and men that have grace are resembled to the sun. The moon hath an influence upon the water to make that move to ebb and flow. The moon sheds light upon all creatures but no heat to make those creatures grow and spring. And so a man of gifts may have light but no heat in those gifts to make grace to grow and make sin to fade and wither. Gracious men are like the sun that doth not only give light but heat. By the influence thereof things spring and grow out of the earth. The great parts of a gifted man often occasionally strengthen his corruptions but do not weaken them. Augustine could say ignorant and illiterate men they take heaven when others with all their scholarship go to hell. Second, where there is strength of grace, there the heart is more humbled under the measures of grace received. The stronger the graces are, the more the heart is humbled. The strength of parts in most men makes them proud and lofty. Empty vessels make the greatest noise, and so do shallow streams. And so men that have great gifts are often empty of grace. 1 Corinthians 8.1 They are puffed up with pride who have more gifts than grace. And by the humility of the soul, you may know whether that soul be stronger in grace than in gifts. Third, he looks more after the supply of the grace he wants than in a way of contentment in the grace he hath. This is argued, this argued Paul had much grace when he thus speaks, I do strive after more and more grace if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3.13 that is, I do labor after perfection of grace, which those shall have that are raised from the dead and exalted in heaven. But now, a man that hath gifts is more apt to look what he hath 
than what he wanteth. Men of gifts are more apt to look upon their attainments than their imperfections. They look upon their gifts in a multiplying glass more than they are, and upon their failings in an extenuating glass less than they are. <clears throat> Four, the more grace anyone hath, the more communicative he is, that others may be partakers of the same grace. When the apostle speaks of the duties of husbands and wives, <coughs> he would have them further one another in the way of heaven, considering they are heirs together of the grace of God. 1 Peter 3.7 Christ also speaks to Peter, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Luke 22.32 by conversion is not meant God's first act in bringing Peter's soul home to Christ, but it is meant an establishing work of grace as if Christ should have said, Peter, now thy grace is weak, and it will be weaker by thy fall. But when thou art recovered from thy fall and denial of thy master, then strengthen thy brethren. Labor to strengthen the graces of other men when thy graces are strong, and thy strength recovered. And this is a very good evidence that thou hast not only grace, but strength of grace thyself. And thou art careful to strengthen others. But such as have gifts only with little or no grace, they are loath to communicate their gifts unto others. They would willingly monopolize their gifts and grudge to impart them to others. They would not have other men have the like gifts with themselves, lest their glory should be darkened. They are not of John the Baptist's mind who cared not though he decreased so as Christ increased but rather they are like to one uh, Aspendius a skillful musician who would never play on his instrument before any of his own profession lest they should learn his skill. This is a notable discovery whether thou hast strong grace or strong gifts only which thou mayest know by thy willingness and readiness to communicate unto others what God hath imparted unto thee. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, 
commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.